Hello. You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo Whoa. of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, Kalu2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore Kalu. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas or Merry Belated Christmas, I have to say. Welcome back to another episode of Hoop and Holler. It's your host, Reagan Griffin, joined as always by Julio Martinez and Eddie Sun. Gentlemen, how are the holiday festivities for you all? Um, they went pretty well. Uh, had a lot of good food, so I'm just happy about that. And Merry Christmas to everyone out there listening. Thank you. So Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Um, happy happy Kwanzaa. It's Kwanzaa the- today. If y'all ain't know, just knowing that I mean, one's there. I, I saw I saw it on Ky- Kyrie Kyrie Irving's story. Mm-hmm. I thought he went crazy. <laughs> of all people, <laughs> that would be. I, I didn't see that, but that makes sense. Anyway, sorry for interrupting, Eddie. You go ahead. It's good. You know, Kyrie did after in the post game interview after that Boston game. He just yes. had to make sure to tell people that he doesn't celebrate Christmas. Which yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying anything wrong with that or whatever. I mean, Kyrie can do his thing, but. Um, I mean, I've been chilling, like, same with Julio, good food around family, nothing crazy this year. Hopefully nobody else is doing anything crazy like that. Um, looking forward to 2021 as well. Hopefully it's a, it's a better year in store. No doubt. And we're, we're just lucky to have the NBA slate of games that we did every, you know, just every Christmas. Let's go ahead and talk some NBA basketball. Recircle back to what I was talking about before. One overreaction that you've gotten from the initial starts of the NBA season that you're thinking that you can get behind. I'll start with you, Eddie, since you were so adamant about your million dollars. I'm gonna need, can you cut so, me 50000 out of that, by the way? Since 50000 ain't shit? <laughs> I mean, you guys don't believe in me, apparently, to, to make an NBA 3. So like, Shoot, like, I don't believe in myself. I don't believe in me either. Like, yo. Listen, bro, some, sometimes you got to take risks. But uh, moving on to, to the overreaction. So the whole point of this was that, obviously, from the first week of the season, you can draw all sorts of conclusions that probably won't add up by the end of the 72-game season because, you know, it's just a short week of basketball. But, you know, when I think of one, like, overreaction that I have that might actually see itself playing out, is that the San Antonio Spurs might actually be a top eight team in the West by the time um, this season is over, meaning they'll make the playoffs. But more than that, you know, more than just that, I feel like they're set up for really good success, you know, in the near future, because I'm thinking about the lineup that they rolled out, you know, for opening day and in the game they just played today. They're playing four guards in their lineup. Uh, they got DeJounte Murray, Lonnie Walker, um, uh, Keldon Johnson, and, and DeMar, I guess. And obviously DeMar is not going to be there for the long haul, but replace that with Derek White. Um, that's four players that have looked really good, whether you know it was in the bubble last year or to begin the year this year. And then you start talking about the other kind of younger pieces they have, Devin Vassell, uh, Jakob Pertl is still pretty young. Um, 
you know, I mean, the Spurs feel like they, they do this every year. It's like they just sneakily, you know, stockpile these talents from like the late first round of the draft and develop them into like impact players. And now all of a sudden they have a team full of impact players, you know, up and down their roster. And, you know, they're 2-0 and right now. They just beat the, uh, the, the Raptors, I think. But... I mean, that's a damn good team. And I think of the pieces they have, like, I love Keldon Johnson's potential. Like, DeJounte, we all know that he can be really good. But, I mean, it's mainly just Lonnie Walker and, and Keldon Johnson. Those two guys we didn't think too much about just a year ago. All of a sudden now, it's like, well, shit, they can be, like, great young players moving yeah. forward. It's kind of like, yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd agree with you. Last year, I picked them to make the playoffs. Obviously, they didn't but they're looking even better this year at the start of the season. And uh, something that's different about, I guess, this group of guys too, is that when the Spurs usually come up on, you know, late first round or second round picks that end up being good, they're just solid, you know? But these group of guys, they're like, they're actually exciting to watch. Mm -hmm. You see Lonnie Walker, he, you know, he jumps into the clouds. Same with DeMar, you know, DeMar's not a young guy, but, you know, he's exciting to watch, and he had 27 tonight. Um, and, uh, you know, DeJounte Murray, he, he that, that's a player that I love. So um, moving forward, they are set up for success. And, and if you're a fan of, of that team, you got to be excited uh, from what you're seeing. I think it's important. And also, like, oh, go ahead. I, just, I also want to give a shout-out to Coach Pop because last year, you know, by the metrics, they had, like, the worst shot profile in the NBA as like they took the least threes and the most mid-range shots. But, you know, I, I think Popovich is so good at this. And you think like, well, he's such a old coach or, or something that, you know, he, he might be on, on the verge of retirement. Like maybe, you know, he's not in tune with these things. But no, like he's come back this year, like encouraged this team to play faster, you know, take more outside shots, drive to the rim more. And now, like, not only do you see that's better, but like, I feel like they just buy in so much more and they're so much more engaged. Like you can use that athleticism and the, the kind of pop that they have on that team. And, you know, like they already put up like 130 points in back-to-back games, which is, you know, for that team, like we don't see it that often. So I don't know. I just I also wanted to shout out Coach Pop because, you know, he does this every year, just makes adjustments and, and turns the team into something good. That's what I, that's exactly where I was going is I think a lot of the difference specifically lies in LaMarcus Aldridge because I remember there was this preseason storyline. It was pretty under the radar, but basically Popovich had told LaMarcus like, yo, you're stretching out to the three and you're gunning it this year. And I think that's two-pronged. A, it gives you more three-pointers and LaMarcus, he can shoot it a little bit. And B, it opens up the, a whole new world of paint for those guys like Lonnie Walker and, and Keldon that can go and get to the rim. So I think that's important to know is that LaMarcus kind of removing himself from the paint, kind of going away from his old school post-up game and stretching out to the three-point a little bit, I think has kind of transformed that offense in a lot of ways. Um, I haven't watched too much of the Spurs, but it definitely seems exciting to watch. You're seeing a lot more highlights. I didn't know Lonnie Walker was jumping like that, bro. I don't know if he was doing that before he cut his hair or if it was once he... Oh, yeah. <laughs> once he cut nah, his he hair, he was doing that in to... Miami, too. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he looks like he's going crazy. I have, I'd like, do you think that the with all those, because you, you're looking at four young guards, right? If you're looking at um, White, DeJounte, Walker, do you think they end up going to like a three-guard lineup like we saw last year with OKC? Because um, I can't imagine two of those dudes would be cool with playing backup to the other two guys. They should. I mean, I, I've said, you know, in the group chats, I've, I've kind of always been a proponent of three-guard lineups especially if you're not, you know, giving up too much on defense. And, and all of the guys that they have are defend. good defenders. Yeah. 
Um, there's nothing wrong with playing a three guard lineup in this NBA where you need shooting, like you want to push the pace, you know, like you want to have multiple angles of attack and multiple guys that can break you down one on one. It's really perfect. I, I mean, this team is built for future success because I think they're building up young talent in the right positions. Cool. All right, Julio, on to you. What's an overreaction you're buying? So this is an overreaction. Um, not. Uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just I'll just be playing with it. I, I really believe this, and I've been saying this uh, since the start of the season. Hmm. And <laughs> Eddie's smiling because he, he knows what I'm gonna say. It's that Clay Thompson makes the Warriors a playoff Ooh. team, and this is to me. You know, I saw it clearly at the beginning of the season, but everything I've seen from the Warriors thus far, it's confirming, you know, everything I needed to know. A, this team does not have shooting other other than Steph, of course. And th- there's not one person that shoots, that I think shoots average at their position from three. And when you don't have that, yeah, you might have the greatest shooter ever, but you're not going to do much. And Kelly Oubre, you know, for all of his athleticism, I said this last time too, all he does is run around and do a whole lot of nothing and, and you know, flip his hair, just like I said last time. So it, it's, they, they just don't have good pieces. And the one player that would change that, I, and you guys say is Draymond, I'm not inclined to believe you because, you, you know, I've already said what I think he's going to average. And from what I saw last year, He's not going to change much, in my opinion, Mr. Triple Single. But what Clay does is just it, – it can't be underrated because, in my opinion, as I've said before, that's the second greatest shooter of all time. Now, he not only, you know, brings his own on defense. To me, he's the best two-way – not two-way player, but three-and-D type guy um, in the NBA. But what you have to do as a defense to try to contain him – off playing off of Steph, of course, I, that, it's virtually impossible. So, what he gives that team, you know, in three point shooting and defense, you know, making the de- the the opposing defense go crazy, it's it's a recipe for actually making the playoffs. And without him, you just don't. Steph is great. Steph is the best point guard of all time, in my opinion. But he's not the guy, and we, we've talked about this, he's not a guy like, you know, Russ or someone like that who's just going to bring and drag along his team uh, uh, by force to the playoffs. He's not that type of player. And he needs a guy like like Clay, someone who he's had beside him his whole career virtually, to, to be playing with him. And he doesn't, and they're not going to make the playoffs. See, like everything you say, I'm buying into more like exponentially after every game. And um, I mean, like, like don't don't call me a clay hater because I've never been a clay hater. But it's like I feel like the Milwaukee game is a pretty good example of like exactly what the Warriors are missing in that, you know, Chris Middleton went off and well, if clay was there. Clay would have been, you know, the matchup guy for Chris Middleton probably would have made his life more difficult. And you know, the Warriors shot like nine for 40 or something terrible from three. Well, it's like obviously with Clay there, the entire equation changes. I'm inclined to disagree that Clay makes this team a playoff team, though, because to me, my frustrations lie with Coach Kerr. And he even said, I need to do a better job of uh, putting 
Oubre and Wiggins and, you know, places to succeed. And, like, that's pretty much exactly what it is. I think that you can still construct a team around Steph to make the playoffs. I mean, it's so easy to make the playoffs in, you know, the NBA. It's a regular season equation. Like, all you got to do, you know, is is, is emphasize shooting. Right? In like, this Western before. Conference? In this economy? Shit. Do you have Stephen Curry? I mean, I'm not saying, well, like... you, you should. That, 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 that's not a lie. I'm not going to say it's easy, but... You should make the playoffs. I mean, those are those are two things. Those, those are two things. Should you make? The I'm, just, well, I'm just saying to make the playoffs, like to make an eight seed. I know it's ten teams now, but let's just say eight. You just need a baseline of talent, which the Warriors have. If this is not, you know, number one pick, terrible level talent. Like this, I mean, especially with Steph there. But I mean, let's not even pretend that like Oubre was some sort of trash player, or even Wiggins for that matter. Even though public perception thinks he is, but like. They have enough talent where, you know, all you have to do is have a system set up for, you know, easy points and a a certain baseline of playing hard and playing smart to, you know, get one of those top eight seeds. And to me, it's like all of this, you know, motion offense, you know, weak side action. Like, you know, like Coach Kerr needs to realize that these are not the players to be doing that with. Like, there's a lot of teams that just runs a lot of different variations of, you know, spread pick and roll or, you know, pin down pick and roll, whatever, side pick and rolls. It's just that he has to really dumb down and simplify his offense, you know, start building up these players' confidence by putting them in better positions to succeed. Because what you're seeing right now is guys like Uber and Wiggins, they're like processing a thousand different things at once on that team. And they're just not capable of that right now. So, I mean, it's like he just has to do a better job of, you know, Putting knowing his personnel better, really. Here's my thing. I agree with you on the part that the players look. A lot of the players look confused out there so many times. Eric Pascal, he gets the ball, he'll dribble once, and then he's like, "Oh shoot, was I?" Why you always to... come for and Eric Pascal? Who... You always come for specifically him. There's other guys who are messing up out there, and not then, just Eric. And, and, and then whoever passes the ball, they're like, "Oh shoot, am I?" Sp-? They start cutting, and then they're like, "Oh shoot, no, I'm supposed to come off the screen this way," you know. So they, I, I do see that confusion on the court, but. Even if you simplified the system, in, in my opinion, you're still not – and you put these players in better positions, will they improve? Sure. Will they make better decisions? Yeah. Will they get more points, I guess? But they're still not a playoff team, in my opinion. This team's just not good. And, and I know you're just – you're saying, uh, uh, you know, outside of Steph, of course, the talent is at least average. So if you add Steph to that equation, you should be able to – you know, instill a system that at least gets you to the playoffs. But I don't even think the talent is average, you know? So I, I just I, I just don't believe and, and, you know, never believed in this team at all. I mean, to me, it almost makes me want to go back and watch more of like the first iteration of that Warriors dynasty where it was Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Because looking at how things functions now, function now, it's so clear like who exactly brought what to that offense. And even when you talk about like Andre Iguodala and a guy like Sean Livingston, like it's so clear what that team is lacking. You're lacking elite shooting, Clay Thompson. You're lacking secondary ball handling, secondary decision making, Draymond green you're lacking some people who can defend on the perimeter some people who also are smart with the basketball and know where knows where it needs to go Andre Iguodala you're lacking people who can handle the rock outside of Steph Sean like it's so clear why it worked the first time around when that 
team was initially dominant um, and, and why it's just not working now because you don't have any of that. And I, I feel like if you do add Draymond, and I meant to ref, uh, address this earlier, Julio, I'm not saying Draymond's the solution, but I think Draymond helps substantially. I'm not, you know, I'm not willing to make a statement whether he you- would help more than Clay or not because that's kind of that's that's tough that's tough i think it's very close um but it, it's it's are just good are you willing to say that they're no longer an a-tier team whether they get oh, draymond nah. back? yeah i i swung and missed on that one I, i'm willing to say that at this point because it's just so clear like looking at steph i mean hell i watched yeah, a, a video with steph hitting 105 threes in a row but it's like shit if i have three defenders in my face and i can't trust anyone to dump this ball off to that does me no good and it's crazy to think that as dominant as Stephen Curry was, it only worked when you had the right pieces around him. I think that speaks a lot to the system that the Warriors have put in place with that initial dynasty, which is, um, I guess, kind of the gospel that you've been preaching to me since I met you, Eddie, how, how great that system was around Steph. I mean, I guess it's just it's the same stuff happening now. Like you see two defenders coming off Steph every time he runs a pick and roll, sometimes three you drag a third one down. But it's like, if dudes are going to shoot 0 for 19 like Kelly Oubre is from everywhere that's not a dunk. Like, I mean, you know, like, these guys aren't there. shooters, though. They have no shooting. This is what I've been saying from the beginning. They have no shooting whatsoever. I mean, here's the thing. It's, it's hard for me, even though it looks bad. And I again, I, I have to agree more with what you're saying, Julio. But playing against the Nets and the Bucks that you can argue are like two that's top fair. four teams. That's that is fair. true. Like, that's a hard litmus test. But if they stink the bet against, I think they play Chicago and Detroit next, then it's like, well, now we have to really reevaluate. So those have to be like two of the worst defensive backcourts in the league too. Chicago and Detroit. Like there's no one that that, that's holding Steph out there. So I'm inclined to agree. I, I think that they at least we get a chance to see somewhat of a better image of what they'll be. But I guess it's on me for overreaction or an overreaction that I'm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. So this isn't an overreaction, but I think it's something that needs to be said. Uh. Darius Garland can hoop. I've been saying this for a while. Darius Garland is so good, and I feel like when we talk about the young guards in the NBA, the guys who are up and coming, the Trey Youngs, the John Morants, I'm not placing them on that pedestal, but like the second tier down. Darius Garland belongs in that conversation to me and I think the fact that he's in Cleveland and the fact that you have a guy who's so like in your face about his game and that's not like a, a, a an indictment on his game but you have a guy like Colin Sexton who it's easy to watch the Cavs and say like that's the guy to watch right there because he's so um, dogged about his his tenacity playing the game right it's easy to, for a guy like Darius Garland to kind of go under the radar and fly under the radar a little bit but through two games the dude's averaging I want to say 21 and a half points I did the calculations earlier it's 21 and a half points five and a half rebounds nine assists he has four turtle total turnovers in 77 minutes he's shooting over 50 percent from the field he's shooting over 60 percent from three and he's shooting 100 percent from the free throw line and he's only taken four free throws but obviously those numbers aren't going to hold throughout the season but i think just that in a two-game sample by itself is a pretty good you know <laughs> It's a pretty. It sheds light on the, how good the dude can be, and I think he often gets outshined by some of the other guys on, in Cleveland. If there's any shine in Cleveland to begin with, but no, man, Darius Garland is like coming. He is coming, dude. That dude can hoop. Like I need to watch some more tape of him, especially of his first two games, because the numbers are impressive, but also. Like, the concerns about him, right, like, coming out of college or, or even out of high school because he barely played in college was that, you know, he was small 
So obviously there was a defense question, but you know, like defense for me as a guard, you know, like you know how I feel about defense. But yes, the other thing was, you know, the finishing, right? Like can he finish, you know, like through defenders, can he finish or even just draw fouls? Um, I mean, I, I just have to watch and see how much of his buckets are coming via like tough shots versus, you know, via like getting easier looks. But the thing I will say though, like the thing about guards in the NBA is that like every kind of like tier of drop off in terms of like how good you are as a guard means like so much in terms of how much you're impacting your team. Like for example, if you take a guy like um, James Harden and then you take a guy like D'Angelo Russell, it's like, well, obviously they're in two different tiers, but it's like, they might be separated by like one or one and a half tiers, like however you want to describe it. Like one's a superstar, one's like a borderline star maybe, Mm -hmm. but it's like the superstar can carry your team to maybe the second round of the playoffs, top half team in a conference. You know, the second tier guards or or third tier, you know, like you're going to have to scratch and claw to even make the playoffs. And that's just the thing about a guard. It's like, especially with a lead guard, if you're not as good of a passer, as good of a scorer, a finisher, a shooter, it's like all of those things mean so much to a team. And it's like, I want Darius Garland to succeed. But at the same time, it's like to be a really great lead guard in this NBA, is like such a high pedestal, which is why to me, I've always said that the great lead guard is the most scarce position and the most important position in the NBA. I mean, he, um, he but, checks. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for success for him. He, he checks wrong. all the boxes, man. I, you know, Julio's going to say it's the wing. <laughs> but like, when we talk about lead guards, he checks every one of the boxes. He can shoot the rock, he can pass the rock, he sees the game at a high level. Um, I would like to see what he does with more volume, or I, I guess I should say more usage, um, just considering that back and forth between him and Colin Sexton kind of goes on. Um, but even the reads that he does make, they're advanced reads already. He passed, he moves the ball. Um, with the best of them, he can shoot it. Like I said, and I, I like his finishing. Like it's good. He's not exactly inviting to contact, which isn't concerning. But you would like to see guards who will go seek the contact because you know they'll get the call, especially a guy his size. But he has good finishing over bigger guys. Like I saw one, he kind of floated it over the, a, a bigger defender. I'm trying to remember who it was against. Um, but he was using like that third level of the glass that you like to see guards use a lot to, to drop the ball in when they're smaller. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, no, he checks all the boxes for me, man, at least on the offensive side of the ball. My only pushback to all of that is so, – so Darius Garland is a player that I watched uh, because he was in contention for one of the picks that the Lakers had. I, I don't know if we – we probably ended up trading. Yeah, we, that's, uh, the, that's pick. the pick we traded to get AD. Yeah, yeah. So um, I watched a lot of uh, the tape that he had in college since, you know, Eddie mentioned that he didn't play a lot at Vanderbilt. But I, I was impressed by, you know, his ability to handle the ball and shoot the ball. Um, but those were my exact concerns that Eddie brought up. He, he's just so tiny. And uh, so to reiterate, my, my, my only beef with everything you said, I don't think he's in that second category of young guards, up-and-coming guards in the league. Who do you think is? Who would you put along? You, you, got, you got Trey and Ja. They're, they're tier one. They're tier one. If you want to put him in, you know, as a guard, uh, and then number two, I would put like a De'Aaron Fox and Shea Gilgis Alexander. I would argue, like in terms of in terms of skill set, man. In terms of skill set, like Darius Garland has everything. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna say that he's as good as De'Aaron Fox or Shai Gilgis Alexander, but I will say, like, 
I'm not seeing a ton of maybe in terms of like ISO one on one scoring ability. I don't know if that's byproduct of how the Cavs just decide to employ him or, or if that's stuff he doesn't have in his bag. But, you know, you look at his handle and his hezzy. I'd be hard pressed to believe that he can't, you know, score one on one. Um, but like in terms of skill set, the dude, like I said, he checks all of the boxes and he does it at, you know, efficient rates. I'm not it's, it's hard to tell what I'm missing, I guess, is what I'm driving at, because like you look at the context of Cleveland, it's a it's a barren wasteland. I mean, honestly, it's not a barren wasteland for talent anymore, but no one pays attention to what the hell the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing. I just feel like that's a dude who's significantly flown under the radar. And if he were like doing this for the Knicks or something, we would be, you know, propping him up as one of the next best guards in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think you might be right, but also, um, like, what if Darius Garland becomes, like, the next D'Angelo Russell? And I would love him as a player because I love D'Angelo Russell, but, like, I can also say that if D'Angelo Russell was the best player on your team, like, you need a lot of help. To, I'm not. Uh, oh, I'm not saying. I'm not sitting up here and saying that you know, Darius Garland's going to be out here like Damian Lillard, which I guess was his pro comp. But you know, just okay. at the rate where he is now, I guess this is the biggest point for me, and then I'll let you go, Julio. Where he is now versus the amount of buzz that goes around the name Darius Garland, it's there's a huge drop off, or there's a huge lack of a connection there for me because the dude is so good. He does everything. I mean, that, that, that's fair, and I'd be inclined to agree. Uh, and don't I really don't mean this as an insult, and please do not take it this way, um, but... Uh-oh. I feel like I mean, I'm about to be insulted. I feel, I, feel like, I feel like a good comp for him would be, you know, a better, a slight, not slight, I don't want to say slightly, slightly better, <laughs> but like a better Jeff T, right? Oh, because I mean, I mean, do you re- do you really think Darius Garland's going to be a consistent All Star in this league? I think, given the right situation, he very well could be. I, I think that the D'Lo comp made a lot of sense, um, though I think his ceiling's slightly higher where D'Lo is right now. Um, also, he's not that big, but I think he's a lot shiftier than D'Lo is. Um, I think a better comp would be like a a slightly like Damian Lillard beta version. You know what I mean? Like if you got a Damian Lillard, but then you doled it down a little bit, like that that's kind of Darius Garland's game. I will game. say it's not an insult because Prime Jeff Teague was a pretty solid right. player. I mean, he was <laughs> don't really don't good. get 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 that, bro. Kemba Kemba's a he good comp. Really good. I feel like Kemba's a pretty solid comp. Um, even though his games uh, like I don't, I don't I don't know if the scoring chops are there, but. I mean, he's putting know, up we'll twenty plus a game already. I like, I like the, I like the Jeff Teague though, and it's oh, not an insult because I like, not I like Jeff Teague. When he was on Atlanta, like he was a good player. Man, you just hear that name and, and you know it makes people Jeff think Teague. of like bland blandness, but Jeff, that's not bad. Jeff, Jeff Teague is a good player. Yeah, but, uh, I don't know. Anyways, let's go ahead and move on. One more segment for today's show. We're going to be talking about one thing that impressed us or, or disappointed us about, you know, a player, a team, a situation thus far in the, in the NBA, and then we'll get up out of here. So since I started with you last time, Eddie, I'm going to start with you this time, Julio. What has impressed or disappointed you thus far? One thing that's really disappointed me, and, you know, it's coming off of my disappointment with them last year, too, the Utah Jazz, man. Mm. And the reason why they're even, you know, more so disappointing this year was because in the bubble, we saw the ascension, and he proved me wrong, of uh, 
Donovan Mitchell officially getting on the map. And my beef with Donovan Mitchell was that he like he was he was trying to be D Wade, and I guess that is a fine player comp for him. Uh, a kind of you know six four guard who can get his own shot, um, very athletic, can leap, can shoot, can can do a lot of things on offense, but is, is pretty inefficient, and that's where it kind of dies down, you know, with the D Wade comp. He was very very inefficient until he got to the bubble last year, or, or this past uh, last season, and what he showed me in the bubble was that he could be efficient. Right with his shot creation, he could be smarter on the floor. He could be a better passer. He could be a lot of things that he wasn't showing pre-bubble. And what he's shown me thus far is that he's reverting to old Donovan Mitchell. My, my, my beef maybe isn't so much with him as it is with uh, uh, head coach Quinn Snyder. And I, I just... Before last season, I believed so much in this team, not so much that they would make, you know, the Western Conference Finals, not so much that they, they would even be a threat to the, the top two teams, but I thought that they would be a sleeper, A, because they're Utah, and B, because I love I love a lot of their players, and I think a lot of their players are underrated. Outside of Donovan Mitchell, I love Mike Conley. You know, I love Bogdanovich. Joe Ingles is a great player to have on your team. And for all, you know, my beef with Rudy Gobert, he's still, you know, a net positive for any NBA team that he, he joins. So, and what they're showing me is that they're they're going to Donovan Mitchell as if he is D-Wade, as if they don't have these other pieces to play with. And Quinn Snyder, you th- there is zero reason for Donovan Mitchell to be inefficient in a game, for him to be shooting three for 17 at one, at one point in tonight's game. There is no reason to do that when you have guys like Joe Ingles, Bogdanovich, Mike Conley, and Jordan Clark to, to, to you know, draw up some plays. And, and I know that's Quinn Snyder's, you know, kind of calling to, you know, be a half-court offense and not so much of a transition, you know, fast-break type of offense. But what they should do more often is get more guys involved. And Donovan Mitchell should have no reason to be super inefficient and shooting bad shots. They have too much talent and too many good players for that. So that's the team that I'm really disappointed in because I really do want them to excel, but they're just not doing it. So... So here would be my my one counterpoint to you. At what point, because what you saw in the playoffs last season, right, obviously was a different Donovan Mitchell and clearly the Donovan Mitchell that you were hoping to see this coming season, right? And I think if you're the Jazz and if you're Quinn Snyder, you understand that your team's ceiling, you're hitting it when that's the Donovan Mitchell that you're getting on a night in and night out basis. So at what point do you say, you know, we're going to live and die by this guy or we're we're, we're just going to, you know, give the reins of the offense to other guys or... Or is that a night-to-night thing where you say, okay, this ain't your night, Donovan. We're going to hand it off to Mike Conley or Jordan Clarkson or one of them. My thing is that you don't even need Donovan Mitchell to be bubbled Donovan Mitchell. Because, I mean, odds are, and what he's shown throughout his career, especially pre-bubble, is that he's inconsistent and not, you know, efficient enough. And you, you just have way too many good players, players who can be efficient, players who can get 20, 30 on any given night. To, for, to let him take bad shots, you know, for, for you as a coach to let him be inefficient. You have too many good players for that. 
So uh, I, I guess it's partly, you know, with Donovan Mitchell not performing up to his bubble standards, I guess, but it's mostly with, you know, the coaching uh, uh, that's going on in Utah. Hmm. But, like, remember when you guys got mad at me because I suggested that Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell's, you know, bubble performances might not be, you know, replicated or, or held up consistently, you know, once they took well, I mean, into actual arenas, like... I mean, I, I thought it was a real possibility, but, I mean, at least, again, it's not so much with Donovan Mitchell. To me, it's like, involve Mike Conley more. To me, Mike Conley is literally out there bringing the ball across half court and giving it to Donovan Mitchell, go screen. Like, you can't just have Mike Conley doing that. Mike Conley then just becomes a negative on your team because he's not a great defender, so all you're using him as is a person to get a pass half court and then get off the ball. Like Mike Conley can run, you know, pick and roll. Mike Conley can get his own shot. Mike Conley can do so many different things to where you don't have to have, you know, Donovan Mitchell running your offense completely when you have guys like Mike Conley. Hmm. To me, like, I think a couple things. I love the jazz pieces like like you, Julio, and that, you know, last year we didn't really see Conley get integrated well, and I kind of pinned that on him having to deal with nagging injuries. But, you know, I think that's a legit question, and if they can actually integrate Conley well, I think that they have a lot of pieces that do a lot of different versatile things and can all work, also work together pretty harmoniously. But also, if Donovan Mitchell and what he showed us in the bubble, not that he's going to average 40 you know, over the regular season, but if the flashes that he showed were legit, or I thought that they were legit, to me, it's like this team could easily be where I put like Portland right now, You know, where I think they're like the legit third best team in the West because... Again, like, mm-hmm. I do love their depth. I love their pieces. Like, I mean, I talked about how Derek Favors, I think he's a really, really good big, and to have him as a bench depth piece, you know, already makes that, like, a super deep team. But again, it's like their top two players, Mitchell and Gobert, it's always going to be the question of, like, what can they, you know, give us, right? It's like, can Mitchell just be better? Because, again, if he's a tier better, that ceiling goes, like, way higher. But... I don't know. I'm not. It's obviously only two games. They beat Portland in the first game and looked really good. Um, so I don't know. Like I, I, I'm holding out hope that you know those players look better. But it is kind of hard to buy into when you know Mitchell has kind of looked like what he's been all all his career, and then you know maybe Mike Conley doesn't quite totally you know get integrated into that team. And obviously, Bog, someone like Bogdanovich, he's not a star player, but he's more than you know. This is a spectrum. He's more than just your average role player. So he, he can't just be out there waiting for, you know, someone to give him the ball and just catch and shoot some threes. You know, the, the, these players are much more than that. You just have to utilize their, their strengths. It's not as simple as, oh, Jordan Clarkson can get some buckets, just give him the ball, just like they did with Karis LeVert. Well, guess what? You're, you, you know, you're not Brooklyn where – Katie and Kyrie can just cover every single hole with their scoring. So, I mean, you, you just – there's better ways to use these players, and I just don't want them to become this season what they were last. Mm. All right, Eddie, you're up. Um, so this is not a disappointment per se, but just like a kind of disappointing observation that I had, which was when I was watching Milwaukee play uh, Boston in their opening night game, um, I didn't know if Drew Holiday would get integrated like from day one and, and look like himself. 
But, I mean, there was no questions. He looked like himself. Um, you know, impact defender. I think he ended up with, like, 27 and 8, like, on the night. Something like that. And, you know, Giannis looked, you know, pretty good. And, and Chris Middleton has been absolutely on fire. You know, the first two games to start the season. Um, when I watched that game, I'm thinking to myself, um, it's pretty clear that, you know, LeBron and AD are the best duo in the league. And, and you know, Kyrie and Katie might be a close second. But when you talk about, like, the top three like the top trios in the league to me it's like without question with drew holiday looking like how he looks him chris middleton and Giannis are the best trio in the league and then you add divincenzo to that equation who you know i know it's only two games but he's looked like he's taken another step forward this year like he's already a great defender and and he's hitting his shots at a better clip I mean, just, just let me finish my point. I'm just saying it's like they have the requisite talent now, especially with that Drew Holiday addition, that to me, I wish that they could just be easily the favorites to win the East, to win the finals. It's like that's how good of a team they have personnel-wise. But it's like it's disappointing to me that we all know that their ultimate demise is going to be what we saw against Boston because their drop defense let Jeff T, and I know I was just talking up about him, but, you know, 30 however year old Jeff T cook him for 20 points you know that defense and that drop scheme is going to let whatever guard just eat because you know they're not willing to switch and I know they switched at the end on that Jason Tatum shot and he got lucky and whatever but it's like that team is too good and too talented to not be you know not just the best regular season team but to absolutely dominate the playoffs be overwhelming favorites to win the east win the finals but it's like because of coaching and, and scheming it's like well we kind of just already expect that they're not going to be that and, I, and that's just disappointing i mean i will agree with you on the offensive side of the ball that you know i, I think that ultimately it'll be Budenholzer that's their demise but defensively usually what they did at least what they did last year is they might key in on one guy or two guys that they don't want to give up threes to and then everybody else they'll kind of just allow to shoot the ball at will and make sure that they don't give stuff up at the rim um and I think that they were just willing to live by Jeff Teague threes. And I, I think I would be inclined to agree, too, as if I'm a coach. Like, if I die by Jeff Teague shooting the lights out of the gym, then so be it. But they kind of just got hurt on that but particular but day. But I don't think defense, that – point though. being, I because, don't think that they're going to go Jeff ahead Teague and let a, a Damian Lillard or, a, uh, you know, a Kemba Walker or, you know, a Stephen Curry do the same thing. I think it would be a little bit different. But, like, what what did we see in the playoffs last year? We saw Goran Dragic, who, you know – better than Jeff T, a similar player, you know, absolutely eviscerate them. And that's my whole thing. It's like, you can have like a general scheme, but it's like, you don't have to defend Jeff T like you do Jalen Brown, you know? So it's like, why don't you, you know, play up on Jeff T, who's a player that can beat you on those pick and roll situations, um, you know, or even switch for that matter. And you can play a drop against Jalen Brown or a Tatum. It's like, they don't have to be so stubborn in their ways, especially when you have a guy defensively as good as Drew Holiday, you know, not only fighting over screens, but, you know, switching across multiple positions. And, you know, Chris Middleton's a great defender. We all know how good Giannis is. It's like, again, they have the perfect personnel to compete in any situation now against any team. And it's like, you know, if, if Coach Bud is going to be so stubborn, well, it's like, shit, well, then that limits their ceiling, which should be, you know, a championship ceiling. Hmm. Julio, you were going to say something. Uh, I was going to say a few things that came to my head. Um, well, my question is, okay, 
I do agree with you that they can, with the personnel that they have, they can easily be the most switchable team in the NBA. I can't really think of another team that's that might be more switchable than them. Um, but I just, I just think, like even then. How could people and analysts and numbers tell you? I, I guess this just goes to an old, to a larger point that I have. How can numbers tell you that they're the best de- that they were the best defense in history that last year? Well, I mean, if you go by the the like, like rating, how, how, how like they, they tell you that? Then how? I mean, it shouldn't be a problem then. Well, I mean, look, if we if we if we want to talk about practical application, I'm a hundred percent agreeing with you. But let's not pretend like that defense didn't perform against you know a, an oh, 82 man. or I guess it was a 60 game regular season last year. But I'm not again. I'm not disagreeing. They have to be able to compete but, in a seven game series when it matters. Okay, you are funny, okay, dude. Like, like, even <laughs> even like, was like, how? Explain it. <laughs> <laughs> Even with these oh issues God. now, though, I mean, Giannis actually developing a smart game would would overshadow these issues. And I just think, even though you can say Bud, uh, Bud's stubbornness on the offense and defense end might be their demise, that that can all be resolved by Giannis actually developing some game other than what he has, which is driving, you know, driving to the bucket and getting some dunks and kicking it out, maybe. But, like, I agree, but at the same time, what Giannis is good enough right now, along with the other pieces they have in Chris and Drew, you know, to compete for a championship. Like, like if Giannis got better, well, then that gets even more dangerous. But right now, and the talents that they have, like, Chris is good enough, Drew is good enough, Giannis, you know, we, we all have our complaints, but Let's not pretend like he's not good, right? Like they're all good enough together to compete for a championship, but it's like, we're all not going to put them as a favorite because we just all know that they're going to have limitations because of, you know, how they're coached and, and all that. Hmm. Interesting indeed. Well, I guess it's on me or no, it's on, it's on you, Julio. Am I tripping? No, it's on you. It's on me. Okay. So, I guess, I mean, before the season, I I sat up here on the show and I said, Brooklyn Nets are S-tier. Before the season, I had all the faith in the world that Kevin Durant um, would be who he was, at least, you know, 90% of who he was prior to the injury. I had all the faith in the world that Kyrie Irving would come and ball out. I had all the faith in the world that guys like Karis LeVert and Joe Harris and everybody in Brooklyn would be doing what they were doing, Dinwiddie. Um... But hell, I, I'm lying if I'm sitting up here and saying that I'm not surprised, pleasantly surprised at how good these dudes are, man. Like as good as I thought they were, they might be even freaking better, dude. Like they're just unstoppable. Like what do you do? What can you do when you have two guys, arguably three dudes when when Levert's cooking, but at least two dudes in Kyrie and Kevin Durant that are virtually indefensible? There's nothing you can do. I mean, Kyrie Irving was lighting Marcus Smart up. Kevin Durant is going to be Kevin Durant. And then you have guys like Joe Harris who are money, knocked out money. You give me an inch of space and that shot's going down. Uh, Dinwiddie, high IQ player, can make it happen. He's a 20-point-per-game scorer if he wants to be in the NBA, if he were in a a different situation. Like, what do you do? This team's a championship favorite, man. This team's a championship favorite. Can I ask you? 
They've superseded the Lakers question? in my mind. What's up? Um, so I, I remember asking you if you would trade for James Harden. You said yes. What is your answer now? Hell no. 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 Ain't no way. Ain't no way. Because basically, like, and obviously I would like to think that overwhelming talent um, would, would end up winning you the day. But you look at what these dudes are doing behind Kevin Durant and, Kevin, and, and Kyrie Irving, like, at some point you have to ask yourself and I think that this is something that was kind of lost on me at first like there's just not enough basketball to go around if you get James Harden and Kyrie and KD on the same team but hell you got dudes who are willing to play their role within the role especially you talked about Karis LeVert and how he's willing to go ahead and go and say you know what if I'm the sixth man and I get to take all these bench buckets then hell I'm willing to do that all day long you have Spencer Dinwiddie who seems content in his role I don't foresee any issues with this team and Steve Nash has actually done a pretty good job running some action he could still do a little bit more but I just don't see flaws even on the defensive side of the ball like these dudes are ridiculous Kevin Durant always been an underrated defender DeAndre Jordan seems more motivated to play basketball than he has been in years like these dudes are just overwhelming talent man there's there's no flaws in that team there's zero flaws in that team yeah yeah no I mean I I would be inclined to agree The, the only thing that I can kind of point to that they should maybe not even improve upon but just kind of change or adjust a little bit is when you know Katie and Kyrie go to the bench and Karis LeVert takes over I, I don't think you can depend on him for you know all 82 games to be the Karis LeVert that we know that can drop you know 60 on Boston last year he against you know Eddie Eddie brought this up in the group chat you know against better defenses better coaches better defenders better teams he's just not going to be able to do that and that that's why uh bringing Dinwiddie off the bench would be helpful to maybe you know initiate some offense run some more actions not just have Karis shoot every damn shot but I mean, other than that, I mean, that, that's not a huge problem to have because we have Katie and Kyrie, the two best one-on-one offensive players in the league. I mean, you don't need much help. I remind, I haven't, has Bruce Brown, has he been playing? I can't remember if I, if I saw him in the game or not. They only bring him in for garbage time minutes. Really? To me, speaks to how deep the team is, but maybe to you guys, you guys think he's trash or something. I don't think he's trash. I don't think he's a starter on that team. Can you admit that you were tripping on two things, Eddie? A, that Bruce Brown needs to start for that team, and B, that Kevin Durant was the ninth best player in the NBA. Can we sit? Can we admit that you were tripping on those two things? I'll, I'll agree on the second part. Um, Katie looks, you know, absolutely dominant, you know, absolutely great. But I mean, I don't, I don't really agree that Spencer Dinwiddie looks all that great in the starting lineup right now. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Again, it's like you're you're misusing him when he's barely touching the ball, barely running any pick and roll, not initiating any offense. You know, getting like nine points a game or whatever he is. Um, again, he needs to be coming off the bench. Um, or at least that stagger his minutes way more where he's playing with that second unit a lot. Um, again, it's like when we were talking about the starters, I'm not saying Bruce Brown is playing 32 minutes a game and, and playing the final six minutes. I'm just saying that's a better placeholder, especially considering I thought they acquired him because they think he's good in terms of you know his defending, his, his passing, and you know I guess passable shooting if, if, if he makes shots. 
Um, but again, like that's a better team fit. And then bringing Dinwiddie off the bench, I'm, I'm still going to hold to that. I think they'll eventually, unless Dinwiddie just wants out, they're going to adjust that sort of uh, rotation a little bit. Mm. Interesting, but yeah, even even the chemistry so that you, they seemingly cultivated. Reagan, you over, said you you said that they're the favorites. So I put them over the Lakers right now. Rankings, they're number one. I put them over the Lakers, and granted, again, this is after two games, but if that's if you're telling me that their ceiling is beyond that, which obviously it should be, given that they've only played two NBA basketball games together, that team's virtually unstoppable. Because I, it's not like I'm going – and I know you brought up in the group chat, Eddie, like, uh, you know, that their ways of scoring are difficult and that they it might not be dependable and you might get you shot in the, the foot. You got the two best in the world. Exactly. Like, I, yeah, even though it's difficult, a lot of the but shots like, that Kyrie and Kevin Durant make, we've seen Kyrie and Kevin Durant time and again do that at high levels. I'm not going to – I'm going to bet that it's more likely than not that they continue to do that. You're not going to see me being the guy to bet against Kyrie Irving making difficult shots or Kevin Durant making difficult shots. That's what they do. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying that Kyrie and Katie are going to magically forget to uh, know how to hit those shots in a given moment. I mean, but it's just the nature of things. Like they're not going to go a hundred percent. So it's like, what can they do if it's suddenly not falling for them? Can they pivot to a plan? B and a, and a plan C but or something like that. I guess my point is like you're 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 proposing a hypothetical that I don't think is feasible. Like Kyrie, the world. No, re- it's a it's a it's a legit. Um, when, when did when, when have we ever seen that Kevin Durant? It. When have we when have we ever seen Kevin Durant not hit those shots? Even and over the course of a series, three one lead against the Warriors. <laughs> I mean, like a, like a, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like saying a, this facetiously. It happens, and what happened to OKC? They yeah, just kept on giving yeah, the ball back to but, Kevin Durant to try to. But do it. instead, but but instead of Russ, you got Kyrie. Exactly. And I, that's why. And again, like I, I'm higher on this Nets team just through two games than at the beginning of the year. But again, it's like teams like this will always always have that concern to me because again I, I you know I'm impressed by one-on-one scoring and tough shot making but you know having your entire lifeline be built on those sort of tough shots a player is going to go through a zero for 10 stretch a player is going to go through you know one for 12 um, especially when when things get tighter and, and the moment you know gets gets uh, you know bigger for them it's just bound to happen and it's like that's where I think you know working more Joe Harris actions, you know, like like just working more off ball actions will, will do a lot for them. But you know, I'm impressed by their win so far. But you do have to see that you know Kyrie and Katie are shooting like 70 percent, something like that, from the field, and like 50 percent from three, something just absolutely you know crazy. And it's like, well, what happens when they go? And it's bound to happen. Like this is just nature that they go four for 20 one day. Or they go, you know, two, four, 13 from three one day. It's like, can they live? Because all of a sudden you're losing like 15 to 20 points from your offense that you're not really generating elsewhere. And that's what every team that's built on this sort of shot making has to contend. They have to think about these things because well, sure, no of course one you have to think about them. But like at Harry, the end of the day, too, you got to ask yourself, like, what are the likelihood of those days occurring? Right. I'm not going to, uh, you know, try to dispel the fact that it's going to happen at some point for those dudes. But I'm also going to, you know, I think it's important to emphasize that 
you know, for every one day that that happens, there's 10 days where it doesn't. If we're talking about a seven game series, there's no way in hell you're going to convince me that, you know, that happens over the course of four games. So I think that it's more likely that the outcomes that we've seen over the past two games for the Nets happen than, you know, those those worst day scenario doomsday um, sort of events where they they shoot like over over a quarter like that does that that just doesn't seem feasible for Kyrie and Katie I mean you can believe that but again it's like we haven't seen a team win off of tough shot making alone as like their options one and two of their offense since you know LeBron and Kyrie had the craziest runs of their career to winning against the Warriors you know you know the the 3-1 lead thing and then before that it's like you have to go to like maybe one of those Miami teams, you know, when LeBron was also there, you know, to win that sort of championship. It's like, it it doesn't, it doesn't usually happen like that. Like you just need a way to get easier buckets on a team. Hey man. I mean, I'll, I'll leave it at this. When you watch Kyrie and you watch KD again, it looks difficult, but when you rep that as much as those dudes do and it becomes second nature, like hell, I know this off of playing Julio. When shit becomes second nature for you, that's not difficult. Even if I do have a hand in your face, that's just water. Like it's it's just water for those dudes, man. But we're an hour in. I think we should go ahead and close it here. Any parting words before we get up out of this uh, post Christmas edition of Hoop and Holler? Yes, Steph is the greatest point guard ever, but Kyrie, best point guard this year. Wow. Mm, okay. Mm. The Sage uh, doing wonders. I just want to give a quick shout out to the Kings because they look pretty feisty to begin the season, and they have enough talent to, you know, like the other fourteen teams in the West to maybe make the playoffs. So, <laughs> just a shout out. Everybody to them. in the West, except for the Thunder. Except for the Thunder. They're not good. Except I had a pretty good game winner today. But that'll do it for this episode of Hoop and Holler. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, we'll post that poll, I guess, to, of, to see what you guys think uh, of taking the layup, taking the free throw, throwing the 50 grand away, going for the million. We'll see what our viewers think, how reckless you guys are about your money. I don't know. But as always, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Hoop and Holler podcast.